Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to our show, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polling stories in news, politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. And so today, where we're recording, it is International Podcast Day. So celebrate International Podcast Day by tweeting us some feedback, which you already have been doing, or more importantly, writing a review on iTunes or Stitcher so uh, people can, more people can see the show and also you know write a review of other podcasts that you like. So happy International Podcast Day, everybody. <laughs> this week's top lines, if Trump's message is I'm a winner, can he survive being a loser? We'll look at the shifts in the 2016 polling on both the Republican and Democratic side. CNN is also giving Joe Biden until the last moment to declare if he's out, who benefits on the Democratic side? Then we'll talk a little bit about some climate change polling that my firm, Echelon Insights, did for ClearPath Foundation, all about how Republicans feel about the issue of clean energy and climate. John Boehner is out as speaker, leaving Congress at the end of October. What does this have to do with the fact that the polls show everyone is mad and no one trusts anything? The debate over Planned Parenthood took center stage in Congress yesterday. We'll take a look at what the polls still say about the politics of Planned Parenthood. Oh, Canada, you told us you wanted more Canada polls and we are here to deliver. Uh, and finally, we'll talk a little bit about data-driven dating, best dating app pickup lines, and 20 years after O.J. Simpson, do more people today say he's guilty? So, yeah. So, um, you know, the presidential race obviously continues to generate polling. And, and the big news in the polls, at least as as handicappers have been watching it, is has Trump's bubble burst. And basically somebody has written a has his bubble burst story every week since somewhere around June or May. <laughs> so, But now people feel that it's grounded in data a little bit because some polls like the NBC Wall Street Journal poll show Carson and Trump tied. That's national. If you look at the Huffington Post pollster uh, uh, aggregation of all the polls, you can see basically the I don't know, inverted hockey stick um, or, you know, a mountaintop. He's gone over the cliff, so to speak, and that there's been a slight drop. And so the question is, is that just a bump? Uh, is it just a bump in the road for him? Is it something that reflects the trend of where he's going? He had kind of, you know, he didn't have the full, he didn't bring the full Trump to the last debate. He brought most of the Trump to the last debate. <laughs> you know, he didn't really just go all all out on everybody the, quite the same way he had before. 
But there's still plenty of Twitter fights to be had. So, you know, so is this is this now finally the bursting of the bubble or is it, you know, just Well, there's the same a little old. bit of denial going on here. So to, uh, Donald Trump earlier, I believe it was either earlier this week or late last week, tweeted out a screenshot of the Huffington Post pollster polling average showing him top of the field, no decline happening. The problem is he was missing like the three most recent days. Like it was it was a selective uh, time frame that he Did was Did he do showing. the like create your own thing? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was a create your own or if it was an old screenshot. Create your um, own where I am winning by a lot. So as soon as he tweeted it out, I went over to Huffington Post pollster to look. And sure enough, that little red line for Donald Trump had been ticking down because I think one or two polls had come out showing him getting slightly less of the national um, Republican vote. But it was just – it was amusing to me that here you had Donald Trump who always talks about how much he hates pollsters but apparently is obsessed with polls, yep. tweeting out the the chart from our friend of the show, Huffington Post pollster, but not tweeting out – an accurate chart. You know, he did that like a few weeks ago, something about how he was doing really well with African-Americans, and that was shown to be bogus, too. You know, the other thing is Mark Leibovich of the New York Times magazine has a new profile out that you can read. And in it, <laughs> it says, I do I do focus groups. I do them, you know, focus groups of one and then points at himself. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the worst clients. <laughs> Keep it to the prof- stick with the professionals. Bowling is not for amateurs. I am my favorite focus group. Oh, that's not. I, I mean, focus groups that. aren't quantitative, so you can't project them onto the broader population of Donald Trump's. But it's nonetheless. <laughs> Probably that N of one or that respondent of one is not quite sufficient there. (laughs) The real story, though, even though – so some polls are showing Donald Trump's, you know, raw number slipping slightly, right? A couple of weeks ago, he was up in the 30s and now you're more regularly seeing him in these national polls coming in mid to low 20s. But the real reason why everybody's saying – Donald Trump is now in trouble is more about the rise of his other right. um, con- competitors because previously, you know, not only was he at 30 percent, but everybody else was down at like 12. And now that you have Ben Carson, who's really nipping at his heels, um, as well as the rise of of Rubio and Fiorina, you now have a little bit it, – it's less just Donald Trump way, way, way out right. in front of the pack further away from everybody else. Yeah. I mean, Rubio, I mean, Rubio is definitely a story to watch. There was a story in the USA Today power ranking where Kristen was quoted. I wrote something, too, that said, you know, it's like he's in his own race, like he's running in his own race where people are saying normal things and they're not making gaffes every day and they're talking about policy and they're not, you know, doing some kind of crazy antic to get in the news. Like that's where Rubio is. The race of that is is just essentially one person. (laughs) It's Rubio. And he is, you know, maybe the tortoise in this race. So we'll just see how that, you know, pans out. It's still hard for anybody to get oxygen, you know, Trump or no Trump, just with this many people still more kind of early out. But but he has been doing a good job of just having a steady performance without any of these, you know, bad days that a lot of the other candidates have had. I mean, Rand Paul certainly had bad days. Jeb Bush had a bad day within the last week, um, what he said about. African-Americans, um, you know, saying that they were getting free, they, you know, free stuff, which is just, you know, it, it's 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 a disgrace. Maybe, you know, I don't know how that plays in the general election, but in, in the primary election, but in the general election, that's really, uh, you know, a disgraceful thing to say and also not true. Um, but, you know, and you have other candidates who have bad days. I mean, Ben Carson gets uh 
shaken up by the press in terms of his comments with Muslims. It doesn't seem to hurt him in the primary, but it is something that, you know, gets him some bad, some bad traction. So anyway, Marco Rubio is on the rise. We both we both seem to think. And the polls agree. The, the polls do agree. Um, the interesting challenge will be um, to what extent the sort of le- – well, two things. One, to what extent these sort of leadership, uh, you know, tussles um, here in Washington – uh, bleed into the 2016 race. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit about this later in the show. But, you know, you've also got this question in the NBC Wall Street Journal poll that asks um, Republican voters and Republican primary voters um, in thinking about Republican leaders in Congress, Speaker of the House John Boehner, Leader Mitch McConnell, would you say you're satisfied or dissatisfied with their ability to achieve Republican legislative goals and priorities? Of course, Ted Cruz has come out very controversially, but unsurprisingly, so like, you know, saying nasty stuff about Boehner the moment that he stepped down, um, saying nasty stuff about McConnell because he always does. Um, and the other day, I think he tried to do something in the, on the Senate floor to advance a priority and couldn't even get 10 of his colleagues to support him. He's become like the the kind of pariah of, of the U.S. Senate. <laughs> sits um, alone at the lunch table. Sits alone at the lunch table for sure. That even, you know, um, Rand Paul, who, of course, is competing against Ted Cruz in the presidential contest, yeah. has come out and said, you know, Ted Cruz is like a kind of a disgrace to the Tea Party movement. And so you have a lot of, of confusion there. But here in this poll, these uh, Republican primary voters were asked, "Do you are you satisfied or dissatisfied with congressional leadership? Only 2 percent were very satisfied, 21 percent somewhat satisfied, 28 percent somewhat dissatisfied and 44 percent very dissatisfied with leadership's ability to achieve Republican legislative goals and priorities. And part of what I've heard is the discussion on the Republican side is people going, you know, did people like the Ted Cruz's of the world or some of these very, you know, further to the right members sort of sell voters a bill of goods, Right. right? That like they promised things that are not actually possible given the U.S. Constitution. Right. And that seemed to be kind of what Boehner was getting at in his various press conferences and discussions as part of his resignation. Right. You know, so, these things can't happen. I mean, Lindsey Graham said it in the earlier debate at CNN. He also talked about that, too. So all of these folks who are running for president who are members of the Senate are, of course, going to get asked about this. You know where Ted Cruz stands on the issue of Mitch McConnell. I don't actually think most Republican primary voters are going to cast their ballot based on how they feel about Mitch McConnell. Or if you already don't like Mitch McConnell, you already got Ted Cruz. Or a Senate parliamentary process. Yeah, I I don't think that that's going to be hugely motivational. It doesn't really come up in the most important issue. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Very Um, often. But you are going to have someone like a Marco Rubio who you can imagine him being out there in Iowa and getting asked about this at a town hall meeting. And, you know, the folks who are in the Senate, this is one of those moments where they suddenly have a slightly tougher road to navigate than people who are – either not elected officials like a Ben Carson or Carly Fiorina or governors. Right. And, you know, in that NBC Wall Street Journal poll also, they asked Democrats and they asked Republicans the same question. If your choice in the D or R primary came down to a candidate who will make compromises to gain consensus on legislation or one will stick to their positions, even if it means not being able to gain consensus on legislation, which would you prefer? And Democrats overwhelmingly said, make uh, make compromises by basically two to one over stick to positions. Republicans evenly divided. So it's just part of that same dynamic. And you see it in the candidates. You see it in, you know, how Republicans now feel more disillusioned about their own party over time compared to Democrats. The sense that the Republican Party is fractured. 
all of that is related to, you know, something along these lines of what this question in the latest NBC Wall Street Journal poll showed. And there was some good discussion on Twitter yesterday that I saw between a number of different political journalists about these questions and how much the answers change based on whose party is in power and what party you control. True. So if you if you control Congress, are you more likely to go, yeah, well, we shouldn't compromise? Whereas if you're in the minority in Congress, do you go, well, yeah, we should have compromises because, you know, getting a little something is better than getting nothing. 100% of nothing. Yeah, <laughs> getting 100% of nothing. So I wonder, I mean, I'd love to go back and see, surely somebody's been asking this kind of a question back over past years. I want to go dig into and see you know, was this number different yeah. when Republicans were in the minority? When yeah. Republicans were in the minority, were they suddenly like, we would love compromise yeah. because compromise is better than getting steamrolled on everything? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'd have to do we'd have to look at some tracking because lots of people have a question like this, but they vary a little bit. And, and I think the variations make a big difference. Before we move from the Republican side, I do want to answer. I don't know if it's a listener question. Hopefully he's now listening. So someone tweeted DeRay, who is a, a, a prominent activist in the Black Lives Matter, uh, Matter movement. Uh, had a question saying, you know, I need to study more about polls because I don't know why the polls fluctuate so much on the Republican side. And we said, uh, well, if you listen to the show, we'll try and answer it. So, you know, I think my first answer would be, I don't know if they are really fluctuating that wildly. I mean, you see some differences across outlets. Some of that may be house effects in terms of how they do their poll, if they're doing cell phones, how they read the question, how the order, you know, all of that. Um, and uh, what percentage are, you know, landlines, some of them are doing a percentage online. Um, and also in the aggregate, again, going back to the Huffington Post pollster, you're seeing more consistency than differences. You're not seeing one poll that shows George Pataki um, at the top. George Pataki, my new BFF. <laughs> That's right. You don't see George Pataki at the top of one poll and Donald Trump at the top of another. It's usually the same basic top tier, mid-pack, bottom tier in all polls. I mean, wouldn't you say? To the extent that there's movement. I mean, there is movement between tiers, though. Remember, our first tier a couple of months, maybe even weeks ago, was Scott Walker, Marco Rubio, and Jeb Bush, which right. is, like, hilarious to think about now. Right. So the, the question is, how much of the m- movement that you see is real movement? Um, which I think some movement is real movement, because this is a very volatile and full field. And People are paying more attention. Are, yeah, so... I think some of the volatility is real. Some of it, though, is that combination of house effects. The fact that when you're looking at these national polls, again, the constant disclaimer, out of a national poll of 1,000 adults, you wind up with about 800 registered voters. From that, you're winding up with about 300 people who say they are Republican primary voters. Your margin of error is plus or minus around 6%-ish. So you have huge margins of error going on here. So... Buyer beware. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's fluctuation over time that seems to reflect the national political dialogue. And then there's also fluctuation at the same time across different outlets. In the aggregate, I think, you know, we see a pattern that reflects the political dialogue. It's a question of which came first, the political dialogue or voters' perceptions. That that we can't truly answer with a poll. But we do, we can see from the latest NBC Wall Street Journal poll that Black Lives Matter, if you're still listening to Ray, is more popular than both Hillary Clinton, Jeb Bush, and third, Donald Trump. So, good good to know. Interesting stuff. Good to know. Um, And the, I, I would love to take a look at the crosstabs on the NBC Wall Street Journal poll, but as we've talked about on the show before, one of the reasons why the Democratic Party always gets better favorables than the Republican Party isn't just because they're slightly more liked among independents, but it's really because 
Democrats hold Democrats. Democrats like the Democratic right. Party. Republicans don't all like the Republican Party. Right. And that leads to things like Speaker Boehner stepping down. Right, 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 right. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit because there's a lot of new, I guess you'd say depressing polling coming out of Gallup about how everyone's pretty feels pretty miserable about government overall yeah. ac- across party lines. The the only other thing that I'll add on the Republican side, uh, so this is a little, I guess, a little promo for my own polling. But I did a poll yes. um, that we just came out with earlier this week for a group called ClearPath Foundation. ClearPath is... Uh, It's an organization started by a conservative Republican guy in North Carolina named Jay Faison um, who is committed like $175 million to supporting Republican and conservative candidates who are supportive of taking action on climate change and clean energy. So he wanted to find out. Are Republican voters actually here? So we did a survey um, of 1,200 voters nationwide. We did an oversample of Republicans and then weighted them down in the overall. And you know, we did find that Republicans are less likely to believe that the climate is changing and mankind is playing a huge role. But they're also not overwhelmingly climate deniers. Only 9 percent of the conservative Republicans in our survey said, I don't think the climate is changing at all. Most of them had more of kind of like a middle-ish perspective. Yeah, I think the climate's changing. Yeah, mankind probably has something to do with it. Um, and what's fascinating is in that last presidential debate, you kind of saw that same answer being given by these candidates, right? This was presented in that CNN debate and nobody stood up and said, the climate's not changing. I reject the premise of your question. Instead, they were focused on, well, I don't like the Democrats' agenda on climate, which is totally fine. Um, and it was just interesting to me that we – it seems like maybe in the Republican field we have moved to a place where dismissing climate change and saying it's not happening is not the answer. doesn't mean they're supporting Obama's EPA policies or stuff like that. But the debate has changed. and So it was kind of timely that our poll you know, came out this week explaining maybe why those responses were the way they were. Yeah, no, I I mean, there was once a time when I was first in this field many years ago where you saw almost no party difference on things like climate change. Now, climate change wasn't as hot of a topic then. We hadn't experienced some of these effects of climate change the way we had then as we have now. But you didn't really see it as a partisan issue. It was much more partisan in Washington than it was among voters. It is now more partisan among, you know, Mm -hmm. than it was. It's still not as, you know, very few things are as partisan among voters as they are in Washington. And climate change is one of those issues. And the story about this poll done by a, a group of uh, a group of Republican pollsters showing cohesion among Republican establishment, I think, by that show of different pollsters and the, you know, the consistency of Republican voters made news. It was in The New York Times. And a friend of mine emailed me and said, you have to talk about this poll. I said, of course I do, because it's Kristen's poll. And so we're definitely <laughs> going to talk about it. And um, so it's good stuff that um, to get that issue out there. Because it's a kind of issue that we can focus on science and come up with a plan. And rather, it isn't, you know, are we putting, injecting emotion into something that has a factual component? You know, you can study it and evaluate it. Um, so so I think that would be good, good progress there. Now, we're going to quickly touch on the Democratic side because there's not as much action going on there. I mean, you, you know, you do see, I mean, the one thing going on pretty clearly is that now Biden is squarely part of the conversation Obviously, he hadn't been for a while because people thought he wasn't running. He's now continuing to leave the door open. Everybody's releasing a three-way and then a two-way. So that's, that is a We trend. talked about that last week that I was really excited to yeah. start digging into some of these. If Biden doesn't run, who would you vote for? Question? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think – 
you're base you're seeing for the most part Biden seems to take from Clinton, but that's not consistently true. I think it depends a little bit on the poll. And it's changed a lot since June. Back in June, Hillary Clinton was winning seventy five percent of. Well, you pick Joe Biden, but if he doesn't run, who would you pick? Yeah. And that's fallen to 53 percent. So yeah. now actually the Biden vote would get split much more evenly yeah. if he were to decide not to run. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, here – I mean, here the three-way – and this is the latest NBC Wall Street Journal poll in the three-way. This is, I think, a narrowing of the gap between Clinton and Sanders in this three-way from their last poll. Um, CNN, I think we talked about last week, had a widening. So it was the first time that Clinton had gained ground in a while. Here she's lost ground in this poll. It's still showing essentially a fairly tight race. It's not as close as some other other polls that have showed it essentially a three-way race. So this poll is a little bit wider with Clinton at 42, Sanders at 35, Biden at 17. Without Biden, Clinton goes up to 53. Sanders just goes up a couple points to 38. So most of the Biden folks go to Clinton. But when we talked to Ann Seltzer a couple of weeks ago, she said, you know, Biden takes from both fairly equally. Um, so I think it's going to evolve. It's not so clear yet. It seems to be leaning more toward benefiting Clinton if he's out of the race. But it's not it's not to, you know, we, I, I wouldn't say it's completely obvious how that all breaks out. We do know, though, that he may appear in the next Democratic debate, which is in two weeks? I think so. And, it, and that the rule is that he can basically just show up that day and they'll go like, oh, all right, let's go find another podium for you in the back. But he, they are giving him the time and space to make the decision as late as he wants to make it. Yeah, because they want a good debate. I mean, the other thing, too, we'll and talk— it creates suspense, right? Will exactly. Will show up or not? I know, I know. Is he at the airport? You know, I wasn't even going to watch that debate, and now— Right? <laughs> now it's I might. Kind of, it's kind of— <laughs> No, I was going to watch the debate. Now, the— um, Does Joe show? <laughs> does Joe show? And, you know, the other thing, too, actually, about Biden— Biden, and again, this is NBC Wall Street Journal, is the most popular figure tested aside from Planned Parenthood, which we're going to talk about in a bit— um, of all the folks that they tested in institutions and in general election polls, um, he does quite well uh, in a variety of hypothetical head-to-head general election matchups, better than some of the other folks. So he does um, he uh, tops Bush by eight points, forty-eight to forty. Tops Fiorina by six points, forty-seven to forty-one. Tops Carson by eight points, and Trump by nineteen points. Um, Sanders beats Trump as well, um, but Clinton does is a little bit more tied with um with uh, some uh, with some of these republicans compared to uh compared to where Biden is. Now again, Biden's not a candidate yet, so once he's in the like rough and tumble world of being a candidate and the gloves come off, you know, as they invariably do, um will that change, you know, most likely, um but maybe not. So I mean, so looking at it if you are a Biden fan, you can certainly continue to look at these numbers and see it as evidence that you know there's a path here and you know, he should go for it. Yep. So let's talk a little bit then about this whole voters are are mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore, Uh, you know, polling that has come out recently. So we talked briefly about how in um, the NBC Wall Street Journal poll, they asked a variety of different questions about, you know, do you have a positive or negative view of dot, dot, dot. And um, we in this poll, they, they asked about Planned Parenthood, which was actually had the most positive 
image of anything they tested. Um, they tested – it was 47 percent positive, 31 percent negative. Um, and then the Black Lives Matter movement, 32 percent positive, 29 percent negative. So still a lot of people that don't have an opinion one way or the other. The net positive was only plus three. What was fascinating to me though was then in this poll, they asked voters, um, would you – are you mad enough about something to carry a sign around all day? And Republicans were less likely to actually say they were mad enough to carry a sign, which even though most polling shows Republicans are the more ticked off voters, I guess they don't like carrying signs yeah, around. Yeah, I guess we're, you Not know, as good part being... of our 60s heritage, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so for on the Republican side, the things that they would be mad about enough to carry a sign, the biggest one in the word cloud was stop abortion. The second was enforce immigration laws. Behind that, defund Planned Parenthood and Police Lives Matter. On the Democratic side, 63 percent said that they would carry a sign. Among the biggest things that they noted, get big money out of politics, fund Planned Parenthood, looks like it was the biggest, equality, human rights. And this surprised me. All lives matter and all lives matter being bigger in the word cloud than black lives matter among Democrats because that's been a really big point of contention, right? That you had Martin O'Malley and whatever folks on the left have said – Well, yeah, sure. All lives matter. That that kind of gets them into big trouble because that's considered dismissive of the Black Lives Matter movement. So that finding in this poll was pretty. I know. Surprising. I'm surprised about that. But you still see stop police brutality. I mean, the other thing you know that that the pollsters noted is that these are headlines rather than you know broader themes per se. Um, But they still nonetheless show a lot of the top issues that people are worried about right now and reflect what we're going to talk about in a minute, Planned Parenthood and shutting down the government, that piece, um, equality and human rights, certainly something that's, you know, we talk about on the left a lot, wages, uh, impeach Obama. You know, I just want to share a couple signs, real signs in my neighborhood. So, <laughs> Oh, I always love stories from Tacoma Park. From Tacoma Park. <laughs> One sign, and this made it in the post, is... Um, uh, just say no to yard signs. That was one. And the other one, and somehow that was an article because I love to do like every six months, like, oh, those wacky Tacoma Park folks. And the other sign is nobody for president. I saw that. (laughs) So anyway, that's what that's what we would say. And I don't know what to make of any of that. See, we're not as liberal. We're just kind of in the middle and disaffected. Um, so, yeah, so so that was – everybody likes word cloud. So we'll link to that in the show notes because um, I think that is, that is pretty interesting. Um, and it is reflective of this broader, diffuse anger that you see in a variety of polls. I mean, one is in, uh, you know, the uh, talk of a shutdown, which we'll talk about in a minute. But even beyond just the specific shutdown – headline, you see in Gallup, they released a governance, their regular governance survey. And across the board, the numbers just continue to be miserable. You know, it doesn't really matter how you look at it. We're going to link to all these. I mean, they have maybe about five or six different data articles that they released. Um, One of them that I thought was particularly interesting is this, you know, how do you feel about Congress versus your member of Congress? And for a long, long time, it's been this truism that, well, I hate Congress, but I like my own congressperson because I see them at barbecues and they seem fine. And that's a real person whose face I vaguely remember as opposed to Congress, which is just a big group of people who I'm, I'm assuming don't do a good job. That 
is becoming, you know, you see the gap has narrowed over time. And also you see an increasing, not overwhelmingly dramatic increase, but an increase in the percentage of people who say, you know, their member is corrupt. You know, you used to used to be in sort of the low to mid 20s. Now you have a third of Americans say their own member is corrupt. Now more, a majority say most members of Congress are corrupt. But I mean, corrupt is a pretty strong word. It's not just, you know, out of touch or whatever. I mean, corrupt sounds like, you know, truly legally bad. Um, So that's something that I thought was pretty discouraging. The other thing, and maybe this is not a surprise to people who do this for a living, which is the more informed you are about Congress, the less you like it, right? So a lot of our political (laughs) insider listeners may say, yeah, that's no surprise to me. The folks who, so 29% of people who are not informed at all about Congress give it a poor or bad rating. Two-thirds of people who are very informed about Congress give it a poor or bad rating. Now, informed is not sort of the level of information that we have here at the pollsters, but things like how many U.S. senators are there from each state. It's kind of a lower bar of just like basic knowledge. I wouldn't say informed kind of sounds like you're following the news. This is more like... You know, just basic information, how many years are in a, you know, House member's term, that sort of thing. But the people who are, know those basic things are, are feeling pretty, pretty miserable about Congress. Well, one of the big things that, you know, makes people feel more miserable about Congress is the idea that nothing's getting done or that the government can't function. And sure enough, um, we are in a moment now where there are questions about whether or not we will experience yet another government shutdown. Um, so recall, you know, we were here in this place about two years ago experiencing a government shutdown. And at the time, you know, if you go back and look at polls around the last government shutdown, it was very bad for Republicans in the polls at that time. Their favorables plummeted. It was really bad. They got saved because as soon as the shutdown ended, you sort of had the really rocky rollout of healthcare.gov and immediately the headlines changed and Republicans were able to rebound. So the problem now is you have a, some folks that say, look, we shut down the government last time and then we won all of these seats in the midterms. Right. So gosh darn Correlation it. doesn't imply causation, Woo-hoo, however. Let's do it again. <laughs> um, and so I, I think it's interesting. The CBS New York Times, you know, in September of 2013, you know, on, during the around the time of the last shutdown, they asked the question of voters, who would you blame more, Republicans in Congress, Barack Obama and Democrats in Congress, or both equally? And in September of 2013 – Slightly more blamed Republicans in Congress, 44 percent versus 35 percent who said they blame Obama and Democrats and 16 percent who said they blame both equally. This time around, they're finding somewhat similar results. Republicans get the plurality of the blame at 39 percent. Barack Obama and Democrats would get blame at 28 percent and both equally getting the blame at 21 percent. So it suggests to me that it would be politically worse for Republicans than for Democrats. Um, but you, it's it's also not dramatically different than the environment we had in September two years ago. Yeah. Now, and I other- think Pew had the same – and we don't have it here, but Pew will link to it in the show notes. I think Pew had a very similar result. More would blame Republicans than Democrats, but not quite as much as before. I mean it's – we now have tracking on previous shutdowns. Yeah, we, don't com- we don't compare Bravo. the fiscal cliff piece here. I mean, that would be another, you know, kind yeah. of data point to look at, which we don't have and folks aren't tracking it in that respect. But um, it's a similar thing, which is, you know, that you do and you hear this in focus groups. You hear a lot of folks saying, like, I don't know who started. Everybody needs to fix it, kind of using the same language you would about squabbling children. Very 
directly. Like, I, I don't care how this began. Somebody's got to fix it. Otherwise, everybody's getting punished. Um, so the, the the question that makes this shutdown a little bit different is what the shutdown would be over. So, you know, two years ago, the shutdown was in part over funding for the Affordable Care Act. Um and this time around, the, it's about funding for Planned Parenthood that comes via Title X, the federal government's family planning program that provides um, birth control and screening services for particularly low-income women. And Planned Parenthood is one of the big provider – recipients of Title X funding and then providers of these services with that funding. Um, that said, sort of as a result of the videos about Planned Parenthood that have been getting released over the last few weeks, um, there are a lot of Republicans kind of outraged. You had this hearing on the Hill this week over Planned Parenthood. Um, and right now there's a lot of debate within Republican circles about what do you do about this issue? Because a lot of Republicans know what we just talked about in that previous segment where Planned Parenthood's brand is a net favorable. Right. And um, even if they don't want – even Republicans who may not support funding for Planned Parenthood don't want to see the government shut down as a result. Right. So this was – I believe this was the Quinnipiac poll finding where, um, you know, they asked – and by the way, they asked in the survey questions like do you consider yourself pro-life, pro-choice? And interestingly, on the question of are you pro-life or pro-choice, there was almost no generation difference between people who were 18 to 34 and then people who were all the way up to age like 50 to 64. The very oldest voters were much more likely to say they were pro-life. But for anyone under the age of 65, there wasn't a really big generation gap. On the Planned Parenthood question, however, that is that is not the case. There are big generation gaps on the question of funding for Planned Parenthood, where overall you have 52 percent who say they oppose cutting off federal funding for Planned Parenthood. But that increases to 66 percent among the youngest voters, 57 um, percent for those who are um, 35 to 49. A majority of those 50 to 64, it's not until you get to 65 plus that you find half saying that they would support cutting off federal funding for Planned Parenthood. Um, and then when it comes to the question of would you support or oppose shutting down the government, 65 percent, including a majority of Republicans, like you mentioned, Margie, say they would oppose shutting down the government over Planned Parenthood funding. I mean, I don't think this is because people haven't seen or heard about the tapes because overall in the same poll, two-thirds say they've seen uh, the Planned Parenthood videos that have sort of brought this issue back into the light, um, as it were. And I will say I, this is my – I don't like putting on my partisan hat too much here. And the, but the, and the thing is that the NBC Wall Street Journal poll is, is neat because they involve political pollsters from both sides of the aisle to weigh in on their questionnaire. I will say the way they worded their question about the Planned Parenthood videos themselves did kind of like raise my spidey sense a little bit. Um, in the, this is one of those things it's hard to describe the Planned Parenthood videos in a way that makes everybody happy, right? That um, and the way these videos are described in the NBC question is secretly taped videos that show employees of Planned Parenthood talking about the use of fetal tissue and organs in scientific research from pregnancies which had been terminated at their facilities. So talking about the use is the is the yeah, issue. Well, sale. and I was going to say, so sale is a controversial term, right? Some people are saying, well, it's not sale. It's just reimbursement. That's fine. That's that's a debatable thing. But I feel like you do have to mention that the controversy is over the exchange of money, right? And that that's where the controversy is kind of coming from and that that's not even touched in this question. I was like, mm, I don't know. Again, this is one of those hard things. It, there are a million ways to write the question, which are all potentially fair. But that was my only like – Putting on my slightly partisan hat here for a second where I was like, mm, I might have 
I might have thought to make that question a little I, different. I hear you. On the other hand, this question is just asking, have you heard about right. them? It's not even so. That's very so, true. So I may not say it doesn't matter, but, you know, is it we don't know how this question is influencing how people view the tapes because that's not what this question You're asks. absolutely right. And the other thing that's good is this was asked after the question about support or oppose for funding. So it's not like this description of the video would have had any priming effects. Right. So in that sense, it's really not that big a deal. This is me getting, you know, getting bent Which out of Which is probably a bit bent out of how the revision call where they went I'm, over this I'm sure ended. this is what their phone call was like, too, with the Republican pollster being like, I don't like it, but I'll deal with but it. But it so. doesn't matter, right. Okay. Um, well, so let's, let's talk then a little bit about... Um, Canada. Canada. <laughs> Canada, you guys. That was such an awkward transition. That's okay. So, I mean, <laughs> we have been, I, I don't want to say inundated because that's a little strong. But we've got really like Canada. It, it, it was one of the most popular things we posted on our Facebook page this week at the pollsters. We had quite a few people say, yes, we want to hear more Canada. In fact, we had other people say we want to hear more about other countries like Poland and Australia. Um, so send us stuff if you guys have something that you want to talk about. You know, another country we we can't. I'm afraid we can't get to all every polling story. Although every we should country. hit Australia soon because they just had and, another one of those leadership coups. Yes, that's, so we should probably dig into. Australia so we'll do that. Soon. So, but if you have something <laughs> that you run across, just send it to us so we'll read it. Um, but the but we had maybe almost ten people say we want to hear about Canada, which is more than we heard say they want to hear about the UK, where we had just one person say yes. Actually, I do like that. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so what do you know? So all anyway, right. what did you find? Kristen? Um, so first of all, I just want to say thank you, Canada. You gave us Michael Bublé. You gave us Ryan Reynolds. You gave us Alanis Morissette. Um, you've given us a lot. So I'm very excited to now <laughs> dig into your politics. Because, and a segment on the pollsters. And now a segment on the pollsters. Um, so since we last spoke, uh, there has been a tiny uptick for the conservatives and a slight downtick for the new Democratic Party um, in the Canadian elections. On our last show, you had all three parties had about a third of the support or about, pardon me, 30 percent of support because you do have um, the Bloc Quebec. Uh, Oh, God, I just butchered that. The, 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 <laughs> Quebecois. I can't do French. Quebecois. Ah, there we go. Okay, thank you, Marjorie. I'm like, I'm just going to keep butchering this repeatedly. Um, and, you know, you have about Comes five, in handy five once in a percent while. going to the Greens. Um, so since the last show, uh, the Conservative Party has gone up to almost 32 percent. The New Democratic Party has gone down slightly below 28 percent. The Liberal Party is staying at about 31 percent. So it's all a very small shift, but there were four polls that came out showing kind of the same trend. And so in a shift from our last show, the now the projection is now that the party that would earn the most seats would be the conservative party. But here's the crazy thing. Because it's a parliamentary system, just because they win the most seats, if you don't win a majority of seats – this whole thing could still kind of not matter. Um, so it's extremely unlikely, again, that any of the three parties that are running are going to get a majority on their own. Technically, because the the prime minister right now is a conservative, um, he will sort of get first shot at putting together a government. Um, but it's super unlikely that either the liberals or the New Democratic Party would join in a coalition with the conservative party. Um, so as a result, you know, they could try to govern as a minority government, but they would have to get a majority to pass what's called the throne speech, which I think is similar to the British Queen's speech, where it's basically like the vote that says, okay, we've established a government. This is this is the new government. Everybody's okay with this. Um, if that doesn't happen, if that doesn't pass, 
then you wind up having to do a whole other election all over again. Can you imagine that if we – like we did a presidential election, nobody gets a majority and all of a sudden it's like, well, let's do that again. Oh. Uh, I mean it's probably not, not as bad in Canada because their election season is so much shorter, right? You call an election and a couple of you know, months later you get an election um, or weeks later you get an election. Um, so this would kind of be the equivalent of if we had a third party in the U.S. and if they had enough votes where you couldn't elect a speaker of the house without people from the other party going like, OK, I'll vote for your person for speaker. But I'm not going to vote for any of your legislation. So you could technically have a Congress. It just wouldn't do anything. And that's what people think could happen in a minority government situation. Now, the, the, By the way, we have an increasing number of people in our own polling. We didn't talk about this in Gallup to say, hey, we need a third party. Right. This is, you know, it's not grass is always greener, I guess. Yeah, guys, look, this is this 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 could go real sideways. So then so it, let's assume then that the conservatives don't get a majority um, or, uh, you know, well, what if, what if the other two parties just team up together? Then they can have a majority. But the other two parties have not sounded like they're really excited about going into coalition with one another. Um, it's not like they can just be like, all right, let's team up. We're buddies now. I mean, you'd have to do all sorts of negotiating over who gets to be minister of what and what the agenda would look like. And do you actually even agree on any policy anyways? So what's really bonkers about this is this election could happen on November or pardon me, October 19th. And no matter who actually gets the most votes, I mean, we could still be back having another election shortly thereafter if, oh. if no government gets put together. Now, um, and this is actually a, an outcome that people see as particularly likely. So the University of British Columbia, they have the, the sort of prediction markets um, that at the moment um, show conservatives kind of poised to win over the, the past month and a half. These prediction markets had shown that they thought the New Democratic Party was most likely to have a majority uh, or pardon me, the, the most uh, seats in the new parliament. Now, actually, the new Democratic Party has really fallen off in the prediction markets and the conservatives are up where you have 51.5 percent um, sort of likelihood that they will have a parliamentary plurality. Um, but the odds of a majority government, um, there is 75.5 percent chance that nobody will have a majority government, that nobody, conservatives, NDP or liberals will be able to run the government because they have, um, you know, over 50 percent of the seats, that instead you're going to have some other kind of outcome where people all have to band together in weird ways to make the government function. And there's no telling what that might look like. It's a good thing we don't have to do that here. I mean, the other thing, you know, this is from before our last show. So it's a little bit dated, but it still raises an interesting point in terms of the use of polling and how we can compare what goes on here, what goes on in Canada or elsewhere. There was a poll done uh, by NDP. This was on our Facebook page. um, And it was in just one writing. So just one area showing that uh, the liberal leader was not doing well in his own area. And it was seen as a way to release poll data to get people to think more strategically about their votes, right? We saw this in the UK election, right? You don't want to vote for a party that's not going to be able to, you know, be a player in some way. You don't want to waste your vote. And do people think strategically? Maybe they think more strategically in a parliamentary system where you have multiple parties than they do here, where you're asking people to pick a party based on what you, whether you think it's going to win and how that reflects what the president's going to do if the, you know, a certain presidential candidate wins. I don't really think there's a lot of strategic voting that goes on here. I don't know if it goes on more often in other countries or if people are, if this is something that, you know, 
uh, handicappers and the press likes to think about because, you know, that's a more kind of insidery storyline. At any rate, there was controversy, one, about the polling methodology itself and whether it was skewed in terms of party and even just the very concept of releasing a poll to get people to think about where the race was was seen as controversial, which – you know, it's not really that controversial here, I have to say. I don't know if that's Y'all are so nice. for good or for bad. But the thought of, you know, the, that the releasing the poll itself was seen as a guerrilla guerrilla warfare, I think was one of the quotes is, you know, it doesn't really meet the, the level of guerrilla warfare <laughs> in these parts. <laughs> but it is, in, you know, it does nonetheless, you know, call into question the issue of, you know, is polling in Canada accurate? Is polling generally more accurate? This is something that there was a piece at Huffington Post about it. I don't think we have time to go into a lot of detail about it today about, you know, whether, you know, is polling becoming more accurate or less accurate? Response rates are certainly dropping, but yet you're still able to, you know, to predict most of the time. Um, Or is this sort of crisis in accuracy happening? Is it upon us? Um, And it seems like, you know, there isn't really a clear answer. I mean, response rates have dropped perhaps quite a bit more than the accuracy level has dropped, which goes to show you know, maybe you can have accurate polling with lower response rates than, you you know, you had response rates, you know, decades ago where you had a lot more people taking uh, taking surveys. So anyway, that, I don't think all of that is necessarily going to get answered in this Canadian election, but it is raised a little bit in some of these some of these polling issues. And well, I, I'm just excited to see how this plays out because you do have some so much talk here in the U.S. about, well, what if we just need to, like, completely revamp our political system? And watching how this plays out in our in our neighbors to the north could be interesting. There was this. Um, Bloomberg Politics uh, Ann Selzer poll where uh, they asked voters, do you agree or disagree with a bunch of different statements? And 59% of people said that they believe the political system is broken. We need to just start over. Um, And you've also seen this big uptick. Um, Gallup did some polling where they asked people, would you support a third major U.S. political party? And You've seen huge increases in the numbers of people who say they would support a third party um, since 2003. Back in 2003, you had a majority of independents who said they wanted a third party, but you had only 38 percent of Democrats and only 22 percent of Republicans. Nowadays, not only do you have three quarters of independents who say they want a third party, Republicans have actually caught up to Democrats. Um, and 45 percent of Republicans want a third party, 47 percent of Democrats want a third party. So it seems like America is really ticked off with what we've got. But um, yeah, it's not a cure-all. Let's let's watch and see how this works out for, for Canada. And if you really want to sort of geek out on the third party piece that you should definitely listen to oh, the Whistle Stop podcast if you're not listening to it because it's John Dickerson from Face Nation doing like pol- presidential and political history. And so he has a whole thing on Trump versus Perot. Similarities and differences. It's very cool. Anyway, it's about good stuff. And the other thing that was I thought funny, which I guess is sort of the reason why folks are with us on the show and still listening to us, that from the Bloomberg Politics Seltzer poll, a majority, just slightly though, agree with the statement, this campaign is fun to watch. I find it interesting. <laughs> That's a little bit higher than I would have expected, actually. Yeah. I don't know if I would have found, because I mean, at the same time, people say, a majority say the political system is broken and a huge majority say, I'm fed up with politics and politicians. It's just people playing games. So you can think all of those things at the same time, basically. There's a group of people who think all of that concurrently. 
Well, let's go ahead and take a look then. We're going to go 20 years back in time and look at polling about the O.J. Simpson case. So we are now are, – are we actually at the 20-year anniversary of the case or are we – Oh it says goodness. 20 years after the OJ case, but it may not actually be an anniversary. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think we actually may have had the anniversary like last year, but it's fascinating that they've now just re-asked this question in the Washington Post ABC News poll, um, which I, I love that this poll has been around for so long, by the way, because this was also – Washington Post ABC News is where I was able to get that really old Miss America data. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I, w- I need to go find a way I can dig through their archives because they were apparently asking really interesting pop culture questions 20 years ago. And I so know, right? This has to be a treasure trove of fun. I know. Um, so people were asked back in 1994, do you think that O.J. Simpson um, – so a criminal court found O.J. Simpson not guilty of charges, um, that he killed his wife and a friend of hers. A civil civil court jury later said Simpson was responsible for these killings. Do you think O.J. Simpson was guilty or not guilty? And back in 1994, you had a majority of white respondents, 63 percent, saying they thought he was guilty, but only 22 percent of black respondents saying they thought O.J. Simpson was guilty. Since then, the gap has narrowed a bit, and now you have majorities of both black and white respondents saying they think O.J. did it. But they make a note, which I think is a pretty important note, that before the current poll, they didn't mention the fact that O.J. Simpson was found responsible in a civil court. Like, I think that's probably influences the results quite a bit, not just time. Um, that makes a difference. Possibly, yeah. Well, and what's the, the white response, though, has not changed in no. 1997. But it has changed from 2007, but it hasn't changed right. from its sort of peak. It's, you know, it's consistent with where it's been. You've seen a lot more increase among black folks than you do among white voters. And there was also, I don't know if it was This American Life or if it was a different podcast, but there was a show recently where somebody talked about how they were supposed to be a foil on a reality show with O.J. Simpson and talked about what that was like. And it sounded I mean, it just sounded really sad and horrible. I mean, not for the guy who was the foil who had, seemed like he had a decent gig, but the but the show concept was just so disturbing and horrible. It made it was like un, it was unpleasant to listen to the story. Also, it just sort of reinforced if you were on the guilty side, you would feel reinforced and by what you heard in that show. Oh, my. That's lovely. Yeah, well, that was on, a, on a lighter note, we'll end the show on our continued series of diving into data about dating. <laughs> so this comes to us from um, Hinge. Uh, it's Hinge is a dating app that I think is uh, it's supposed to be a little bit like Tinder. It, I think it's supposed to connect you to your to people who are like friends of friends. Mm. Um, and so what they did is they analyzed the top uh, – opening line. Like, I guess if you match with someone, this is the, the the first message that gets sent between two people when it actually results in, like, them continuing to engage with one another instead of somebody looking in their inbox and being like, um, no, that's weird, and them just not responding. So apparently, um, for those who are 18 to 23, um, the top openers are things that are about novelty. So... Things like, um, what's the best pain reliever, Advil, Tylenol, or complaining? I don't actually know if I'd respond to that. That's kind of weird. Um, you're having your portrait painting painted. What's your backdrop? Also, I don't – I don't – that's – this is – I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm not 18 to 23. So then there let's was... look at eight, 24 to 28. The top openers were more around lifestyle choices. So things like – what are your Sunday priorities? Exercise, sleep, or aggressive mimosas? Ooh, that's 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 better. Um, better adventure, rock climbing, or scuba diving. Then you get into folks who are kind of in their early to mid or, or 
late, you know, 29 to 34, and personal openers are the best. So things like two truths and a lie, ready, set, go. Or would you date someone who orders plain bagels and plain cream cheese when they have other options? Oh. I want to know the answer to that. I, I don't know. I mean, the answer would be no, I would not date someone. <laughs> that's <laughs> so boring. I guess that's why I am an old, I, that's why I am an older lady in the suburbs who has not dated online. God, when I go to Brugger's <laughs> on King Street, it's like there are, like, the number of different bagel and schmear combinations is so fabulous that how could you possibly just go yes. plain, plain? But, you know, they did, I mean, I think that the, for 35, so, yeah, there's the Katy Perry or Taylor Swift is another question. Like, who do you prefer, Katy Perry or Taylor Swift? That is actually, according to Hinge, is the most replied to question among 35 and up users. I mean, I'm just baffled by all of this. I mean, again, you know, when I when I was young, we, there was no there was no online dating and even personals were seen as, you know, not Something that you know you'd admit to generally, and now if you're you seeing. Sorry, I don't think I'm not... allowed to sing on this show. Would that, is that going to get us yeah. in trouble? For oh no, we talked about this. We're allowed to use Cursing. 15 seconds of songs as long as we attribute. I think if you sing yourself, it's probably okay. Oh, okay. Well, don't worry. I'm not going to subject you to that. <laughs> My... We haven't figured that out yet. Sorry. Continue. I totally interrupted your discussion. No, of no, no. I was just thinking, thinking back to the times of, you know, when myself and most of my cohorts were single and very few of us were online. Very few people. I, I wasn't. Very few people were doing any of this online. Now it's just so common. I mean, you would never have thought that eight young, young millennials would just simply date online like no big deal. I mean, that was something that you would, you know, to sort of as a as dip your toe in or as a last resort. I mean, that's, you know, that that was the evolution of online dating. And again, since it's International Podcast Day, a big conversation about it in uh, in startup season two, where they track a woman-owned online dating website and also Reply All had something and then I think a couple other shows had something else. It, it, what's interesting is that you have so many of these dating apps and websites release all this data. I mean, that's, you know, this is not the first time we've seen a dating study released. I mean, you know, they're using your data and they're releasing it to get like a Vox article and clicks, you know, which <laughs> is cool for us at the pollsters. But, you know, it's just, you know, another another interesting maybe as long nugget as it's here. it's not personally identifiable. It's, it's definitely it's, not personally identifiable. But, you know, may make you think twice the next time you're responding to one of these questions. With that said, the, the other top opening line for those 35 and up, this just warmed my heart. Was people posing the question, bears, beats, or Battlestar Galactica? And that's beats with two E's, not E-A. Which if you've never watched <laughs> The Office, you might not understand why that's funny. But it's funny. Bears, beats, You can still Galactica. answer the question because I didn't get the reference. And I like The Office. And I feel I can weigh in on which of those I would prefer. And I think it would be beats. I'm I so thankful that I'm not in the dating world anymore. But I will say, if I found myself back in the dating world, I would probably respond positively to that line. <laughs> Okay, so our key findings, our best pollsters pickup line may be, who would you prefer to go to Canada with, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, or Ben Carson? And maybe the worst pickup line would be, hey, what's up, Donald Trump? And And yet I get asked that question (laughs) constantly. That's probably how he begins his focus groups of one. (laughs) And if you're feeling despondent about the government, like most Americans, just celebrate International Podcast Day instead. But we and most Americans hope you don't have too much free time on your hands with a looming government shutdown. But if you do find yourself with too much time on your hands, don't be afraid. Tweet at us. We're at at the pollsters. Margie's at at Margie O'Mero. I'm at Kay Soltis Anderson. You can find 
find us at thepollsters.com or on Facebook, where throughout the week we'll be posting links to our favorite news stories and polls that we come across. You can also find us on your favorite podcatcher, whether it's Stitcher and iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe and post a review. Great. Thanks. See you next week.